Let's open our Bibles today to the first chapter uh, in our Bibles in the Old uh, Testament. Let's uh, first Testament. And that is uh, Genesis chapter one for five, verse number 20. For one of the ways that we become servant leaders in changing our world is as we begin to move uh, in uh, right choices. We change ourselves and we move as followers of Jesus Christ to disciples and then ambassadors, apostles, sent ones, servant leaders who are commissioned to assign uh, to accomplish a particular task. Now, I think that it's important for us to understand as I read here this afternoon that our choices will determine where we go in life. And one of the things that I have worked with with men for years, uh, both privately in small groups and with a congregation, is to change our choices so that we can change our world. In Genesis chapter 1, God has been, uh, has been creating uh, things from nothing. He speaks and it's so. And as God begins to create everything from nothing, it comes down to Genesis 1.24, and we are now in the sixth day of creation. And in day number 6, Genesis 1.24, it says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to its kind, cattle, creeping things, and the beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. It says, And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle, According to its kind, everything that creeps on the earth, according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man. In his own image, in the image of God, created he him, male and female, created he them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God said, see, I have given you every herb of the field uh, or herb of the, uh, that yields seeds which is on the face of the earth. Every tree whose fruit yields seeds to you, it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food and it was so. So God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. And so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we uh, look at this verse, we are viewing now the sixth day of creation. This is the last day that God is going to be actively involved in creating in the original creation story. Uh, the book of Genesis uh, chapter 1 and 2 are now being highly contested in many Bible colleges, in many seminaries, and in many places of further education and higher education in our kingdom. Some believe it to be myth. Others believe it to be tradition that has been oral tradition that has borrowed from other religious thoughts and a compilation of those stories to make the creation stories. 
Some are even arguing whether we have a short creation or a long creation. It's a theological debate that's going on. The long creation story tries to fit the creation model into the scientific model. And yet God lives outside of science. God is broader than science. And trying to put God's model inside of a scientific model that is verifiable and reasonable just doesn't work. So there's now our kingdom is being divided into short earth theology and long earth theology. Those who believe that we have evolved over billions and billions of years and those who believe that God spoke and we were. That God said it and it happened. Here in the sixth day of creation, we see that man was created the same day as animals. But however, man was not created in the same way as animals. And I think that becomes important because if you and I believe the long creation model, and if we believe that we are products of chance, matter, and evolutionary thought, then you and I don't have any purpose. We don't have any destiny because we are one big accident. But if we were created by divine design and by divine intent, then we have purpose. There's a reason for us being here. We have divine intent and we have purpose and destiny. God intends for us to go one way. And so we are created the same day as the animals. However, we were not created the same way. One of the ways that we are distinct from animals is, first of all, when God spoke to everything else, he spoke and it was so. Let the sea bring forth and living creatures came out of the sea. Let the sky bring forth and living creatures came from that body. When he said, let the earth bring forth, living creatures came. But when God created man, God spoke to himself. Can you imagine God having an executive meeting with himself? Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. An intertheistic covenantal covenant meeting that took place where God said, let us make this one like us. Let them be in our image after our likeness. God is a spirit. He's made up of soma, flesh. He's made up of suke, soul, thought, and he's also made up of spirit, pneuma. And God, because he is made up of spirit, soul, and body in the Greek mind, uh, God said, let us make man like us. Animals operate on instinct, brothers. And an instinct is a natural, inherent aptitude or impulse or capacity, instinct. Animals operate on instinct, and an instinct is largely an inheritable, uh, also unalterable tendency of an organism to meet a complex or uh, specific response to environmental stimuli without involving the reasons, and that's called instinct. Instinct is a behavior that is mediated by reactions and also below the conscious level instinct. Instinct is when you and I respond without thinking, respond without involving reason, respond below the waterline of the conscious line. Friends, you were created the same day as animals but you were not created the same way as animals. Now, I live on um, the east side of Columbus, and part of the road that I live on has a lot of wooded areas undeveloped is what they call them. Now, in that area, uh, we have uh, deer that track through that area quite a bit, and there's a certain season when the female does are in what they call heat. And the males 
know that they're in heat and they track them down for reproductive process. I remember one day driving down McDalton Road late at night and uh, all of a sudden I glance out of my side eye and I see on the right side of the road a deer running across the road. It was a doe. She's running across and she makes across the road and uh, she comes and then I slow down because I say there might be some more. And all of a sudden this big buck comes across, small antlers, and he's chasing her. The only problem is coming in the opposite direction is a car. Now I said, no, bro, don't do it. Don't do it. Yes, your apostle, he talks to cars, and he also talks to deer. So I'm telling the brother, don't do it, don't do it. Bam, the car hits him. Car stops, he jacks the car up, hits the pavement. He gets up, then he looks back at the car, looks at the deer, at that dog, and then he takes off running after her again. What was his problem? He got a whiff of it. And instinct kicked in. And he ran into traffic, got hit, got back up, and ran after it again because he just got a whiff of it. Push on the man next to you and say, we don't operate by instinct. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Tell him. Tell him. Tell him. Go ahead. Tell him. Push on him. Push on him. Push on him. Tell him we don't operate by instinct. No, we were made the same day as animals, but we were not made in the same way as animals. We don't operate by instinct. Something funny's going on over here. Okay, I don't know quite what. They're still processing. But you and I just don't react. Well, let me put it this way. I don't believe that we just react. Run into traffic, get hit, knocked down, and get up and keep chasing it. Push your neighbor and say the preacher's going to help us in the next few minutes. Okay, go ahead, go ahead, push somebody. Go ahead, tell him. Now tell that brother next to you, don't put your hands on me no more. Go ahead, tell him. Tell him, I had enough, don't put your hands on me no more. Okay? So animals operate by instinct, are you understanding? But God made us like him, and mankind operates like God by choice. You know that even the fact that God loves us, that's just not because he's instinctive in love, but God chooses to love us. He chooses to always seek our highest good all the time. Now, what is choice? Under Roman numeral number one in your notes, it says choice is an act of picking or deciding between two or more possibilities. And today we live in a world, as Pastor John just taught us, where you have the voice of Goliath, the voice of Saul, the voice of your brothers, the voice of your family. And you have the voice of that comes from the covenant of God, all speaking at the same time. And you and I, we need to make a choice which voice we're going to hear out of all of those possibilities. And choice is picking and deciding between those two possibilities. Listen, a choice is also the opportunity or the power to make a decision. And many men never just make a decision. And friends, when you're afraid to make a decision or when you and I don't hold to right decisions when we make it, we will always be unstable. A double-minded man 
James says it's unstable in all of his way. There will be no establishing, no settling, and no, uh, and, and, and no stability in our life without the capacity to make a decision. Listen, choices also, I put it in your notes, is deciding between a range of different alternatives. And right now we live in a world. And now in our world, in our culture, uh, because a society, there's now this whole third gender conversation that's going on. Alternative living, it used to be called. And third gender conversation says that there's not only a male and a female but there's also something else. So this whole third gender conversation that's happening in the public debate is now arguing whether there should be any sexual identity to restrooms now, male and female, or should there be male, female, and a third alternative for cross-gender, the LBGTQ community, uh, lesbians, gays, transvestites, bisexual, questions, questioning Q community, and then also down they've added an I if you go on certain internet, and that's intersex people, people that say I have no sexual preference whatsoever. I have not self-identified my sexuality, and self-identification is, is important. So this whole third gender conversation comes out of self-identity, it comes out of self-options, and it also comes out of sexual re-identification surgery. Really, we're living in an age when you sit down next to somebody, you really don't know what or who you're seated next to. Look at the man next to you. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> so in our church, we used to say we marry males and females. But now we have to say, when I sit down in the first premarital counseling session, are you a naturally born male? And are you a naturally born female? Or have you self-identified? Or have you gone through sexual re-identification surgery? So in the world that we live in, even in our kingdom, I'm telling you, there's many possibilities that we have to choose from now, even in our kingdom. And there's many alter, there's a wide range of alternatives we have to, uh, we have to choose from. And to be a kingdom man, we have to make right choices. Our lives are made up, Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole said, of our choices and framed by the words of our mouth. Your choices will determine your life. And through faith, because we're, uh, because we're created in the image of God, through faith, Hebrews 11, 3 says, we know that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Your worlds frame your world. And your life is made up of your choices, but it's framed by the words of your mouth. Hebrews eleven three 3 says, when you were created in the image of God, God's power is released through his words and your power is is released in your words. And friends, the power of choice is one of the qualities that you and I make are made in the image of God. Now, this is not a 21st century issue, right choices. Israel one time was at the point of making a choice. The prophet in that day was Elisha. The king in that day was Ahaz. He married to Jezebel. Jezebel worshiped Baal. And Baal is not maybe one big idol. Balaam 
were many gods. The people that were Baal worships had gods of agriculture, gods of the sun, gods of the moon. They had gods for everything. And she drags these gods into the kingdom. And now Israel, who has one God who is eternal, invisible, immortal, the only wise God. Now Israel is struggling. Will I just worship this one God who's eternal, immortal, invisible? Or will I flirt now with all these other gods that are in the area? Elisha brings the people and the leaders and the men and the women out to a mountain. And Elisha in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, I put the verse in your note. It says, and Elisha came to all the people and he said, how long will you falter? New King James says between two opinions. Listen, King James says, how long will you halt between two opinions? I like that word because people were stuck because they wouldn't make a decision. He says, if God be God, follow him. He said, but if Baal, follow him. But the people answered not a word. They still weren't ready to make a decision. They didn't say yes or no. They just were stuck between multiple gods and one God. It says here, then Elisha said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the land. But Baal's prophets are 450. Listen, you and I cannot just make a decision based on the majority. That's good America, but it's not good kingdom. When you and I read through the book like we read with David and Goliath, you and I need to understand many times it's the minority, the smallest, the weakest that stand correct with God. But we stand against the Goliath, the insurmountable amount of people and sometimes obstacles in the word. But if we stand with God, we never stand alone. Somebody ought to praise the Lord for that. We never stand alone. And Elisha now is thinking that he's the only one holding the standard. And yet God is later on going to reveal to him, man, I have many prophets who have not bowed their knee or kissed Baal. But at this time he has 450 and then he said, but I'm alone and left. But he's made a decision. He's going to stand with the Lord. I believe we're coming into a day prophetically where you and I are going to have to make our decision. And the majority of the country, the majority of the region, the majority of the city, the majority of the culture may go that way. Will you and I still be standing? You and I have to make a choice. I'm going to stand now so that you'll stand then. The choice to stand under the midst of pressure doesn't just happen when pressure comes. That decision has to be made days and weeks And years before that time come. So there was a day when Israel would not make a decision in their mind towards one God. And now we used to be in kind of a monotheistic. If you were theistic, believing in God, most people in America believed in one God. They were monotheistic. But now we live in a day. We live in a more pluralistic society where people are polytheistic. And there are many gods. And friends, if you and I get isolated, sometimes we can get discouraged. And that's what happened to Elisha. He got so isolated thinking he was the only one holding his standard that eventually goes out and he has a bad day. I had a friend of mine, he preached a message called the suicidal prophet. And, and, and Elisha gets so bad, he just asked God to kill him. He really wasn't suicidal. He wasn't going to kill himself. But he was telling God, why don't you just take me out? Because in some people's theology, the, uh, the theology of eternal judgment concerning suicide is still out. Okay, they don't know whether you're saved or whether you're not saved if you commit suicide. And so uh, he said, no, I don't want to kill myself, but God, just you just killed me. And God said, I'm not killing you because I'm not done. Look at the man next to you and say, you're not finished yet. Yeah, so you can't die because you're not finished. 
you still got some work to do. So you can't die because you're not finished. And because you're not finished, you're not going to die. God then tells Elisha to anoint a king, tells him to anoint another king, and then tells him to anoint his, his, uh, his successor. He said, you haven't done. And he said, beside that, I got other prophets out there that are holding the fort. Today, we must decide whether we're going to follow one God, many gods, or whether there's going to be a mixture. Fill that one in. Because now there are seducing forces to bring us into mixing our faith with other things. You know, I know that it's very popular. A lot of people take yoga. And then, but then yoga, I found out people that begin to go down some of these tracks wind up in transcendental meditation. Some people start off and they say, well, I just want to explore alternative worldviews. And they wind up so confused about whether God is God. I had a guy come up in our church one time. He wanted to date a lady from our church. I said, who's your pastor? He said, well, I really don't have a pastor. He said, I, use, he said, I go to church sometime. He said, but I go to the mosque sometime. Then he said this to me. He said, he said, you know, we all believe the same thing. I said, no, we don't. He kind of looked at me. I said, no, we don't. I said, Hindus have multiple gods. We teach that there's one God. I said, Buddhists have multiple gods. We teach that there's one God. I said, Allah is not the God of Christianity. And I said, and Muhammad is not a prophet that we recognize. I said, though in the Quran, if you read it, I said, you will find Moses and Mary and, and, and Isa, Jesus mentioned in the Quran. I said, but we're not the same. I said, because to us, there is one way, one truth and one life. And so I said, so no, they're not all the same. And the man was shocked. And I said, have you read the Quran? He said, well, no. I said, well, I have. I have one on my iPad there because we have four, 350 Muslim families living next door to our church in a, in a, in a, community, uh, in a community complex. So I interact with Muslims all the time. So I put a Quran on my iPad. So when I talk to them, they want to talk about the Bible and Quran. I said, well, let's see what your book says. And I said, this is what the Bible says. And to us, Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And what does it say? No man, no man comes to the Father but by, but by me, says Jesus. I said, so we don't believe the uh, same thing. So with me, there is no mixture. I cannot mix up all these worldviews with my faith. My worldview is going to determine, determine my values. My values will determine my belief. And my belief will determine my behavior. And friends, can't mix it all up. And as we come into these last days, there's going to come more pressure on you and I to compromise. Now, it's one thing to be respectful for everybody. I can give respect to everybody. It's another thing to love everybody. But I don't have to agree and buy in with everybody. The pressure of the world is coming into agreement and celebration. And friends, you and I, we have to make a choice today. Therefore, today we must decide if we are going to be nominal or convictional Christians. Those are two words that you're going to see emerge over this next year and coming in to the next season. Where nominal Christians means Christians in name only. And convictional Christians are Christians who practice what they believe and stand on what they believe. Convictional Christians are people that take a stand here because God told me to stand here. Not because this is the church that's closest to my house. This is a religion that I practice because it's closest in my region. No, I follow Jesus Christ because it is my conviction. He is the living son of God, son of man, 
as son of God. That he is the theanthropic man. He is theos, God. And he is man, anthropos. He is a theanthropic man. He is son of man. Please, he's fully man, fully God. Because I believe that and my conviction is such, I will not renounce that standard. And so, friends, Elisha stood and there was a battle between he and the people of God and the false prophets of God. And your choices would determine where you and I wind up in society. And so why? You say, well, was this the first time that ever happened to Israel? Because Israel was God's beloved nation. No, Moses had already warned them that this day would come. And in point number two, see, our choices impact our today. They determine our tomorrow. They shape our destiny and the destiny of those around us. I want us to know that our choices don't just impact us men, but they impact those around us. Moses, when they are coming from Kedesh Barnea, 40 years in the wilderness, back to Kedesh Barnea, he stands up on a mountain and he says, before you go into the land, let me review the law of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is a reviewing of the law. Not a lot of new stuff in Deuteronomy. It's just a retelling of the law. The Deuteronistic style of the Old Testament is that God would say something and then he'll repeat it again because in a mouth of two or three witnesses, truth is established. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, then, uh, uh, Moses is coming down to the end of his reviewing of the law. And Moses says this in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you that I have set before you life and death. What else has he said before them? Blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose what? Now, look, he gives them a multiple choice question. He says, I've set before you life and death. That's one and two. And then blessing and cursing. And he says, I want you to choose life. What is the benefit that you and who else? That would be our sons and our daughters will live. He says, I'm setting before you all these eyes. You got life and death, blessing and cursing. Now, Moses had been with Israel so long now. He saw that they were accustomed to making bad choices. So he knew they needed a little help. He says, now listen, you got A, life, B, death, C, blessing, D, cursing. And it's almost like he comes over and he says, choose A. (laughs) Choose life. He said, because I want you and your sons and your daughters, your offspring to live. Men, every one of our choices today may not in their instant moment have a life and death consequence, but in its long-reaching effect, it can. Because our choices are far-reaching. And believers are regularly at the point of choice. But we need to recognize that our choices are far-reaching. You can choose life or you can choose death. You can choose things that lead to blessing or things that lead to curse. I was inquiring of the Lord, what is a curse? Read the definitions both in Greek and in Hebrew and the helps that I had. But the thing that I find out is a curse usually is harm and calamity and also a danger that kind of comes from an invisible realm. 
and manifest in the visible realm. Harm, calamity, and danger that comes from the invisible realm of the spirit manifest in the visible realm of the natural. When a curse comes on a person, it usually doesn't hit your life in all of its maximum impact at once. It usually hits a little bit at a time, but its goal of a curse, calamity, harm, and danger is to totally consume and then neutralize and then wipe out life, a curse. Harm, calamity, and danger coming from the invisible realm of the spirit manifesting itself in the natural realm, and then it hits your life, and then it wants to totally consume, neutralize, and then bring death to you, a curse. And God says, I have life that is abundant, life as I desire, and your choices, men, will make up whether you choose life or death, our choices are far-reaching. Make up your mind. Now, why is that important? You say, well, man, I'm just hurting me. My choices are private. My choices are personal, but your choices are far-reaching. I put in your notes 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 22. And, and 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth about life and death experience. Actually, he's talking about resurrection and what happens at resurrection. And he says, listen, and Adam all died. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now watch this. In 1 Corinthians, uh, it says in the New Living Translation, it says, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given life. Listen to me. When you and I are found in Adam in the Adamic message, we wind up in death. But when we're found in Christ, we'll wind up in life. And one of man's choices can create death, Adam's choice, corruption, and also chaos. I have youth that are in our church, and I just spent two Sunday afternoons from two to three with them in our youth cell group. It's, uh, it's for senior high school students where we teach them apologetics. And when we were in that youth uh, senior group, one of the questions we deal with is why do the righteous suffer? Why does bad things happen to good people? And I tell them this is not a blame game, but we need to know our history. That with one man's decision, corruption came into the world and we live in a corrupt world. Everybody say that after me. We live in a corrupt world. There was a time in Genesis 1 and 2 that we just read that there was God, man, and woman, and the devil all in the earth before sin. There was God, the man, and the woman, and the devil in the earth before sin. Genesis 3 is a pivotal point where man makes a bad choice. And when man makes that bad choice, Genesis 3, we move from a life, uh, from, from a life of blessing to a life of cursing and death. One man's choice, one man's choice. And friends, when you and I stop and we don't make the right choice, then you and I begin to die. So also Christ came. He's called not the second Adam, but the last Adam. Get it right. It's called the last Adam. Get it right. Not the second Adam, the last Adam. God said, I did it once. I'm doing it one more time. And he came with the last Adam. He made the right choice. And when you and I are found in him, our, we have life, we have order, and we have redemption because now we neutralize corruption. Amen. Make the right choice to follow Jesus, man, 
And I'll know where you are in your spiritual journey here and be found in him and it will lead to life. Amen. I was in prisons and uh, in prison uh, ministering to some folks. Let me, let me not put the pause here. I was in prison ministering to people. <laughs> Nothing wrong being in jail. A lot of God's righteous men were in jail. But I was there ministering to folk. And one of the men stood up and he said, why should I follow this white Jesus that's a European? I said, well, first of all, you ought to read the Bible and you'll find out Jesus was not a European. I said, then you ought to read the Bible again and find out it wasn't white. I said, a lot of folks are going to be shocked when they see this one coming off the throne who is bronze and has hair like wool. If you read the Bible. If you read the Bible. And I said, Jesus had a multinational and a multi-ethnic, I said, lineage, if you read the genealogies in the Bible. If you read the genealogies in the Bible. If you read the genealogies in the Bible. They're in there for a reason. So I said, so first of all, let's get that straight. I said, next of all, what option do you have? He He started giving all these options. And I said, and how's that working for you? He was in prison. <laughs> and he said, well, you see, and he says, his response to me, well, you see where I am. And I said, then why don't you make some different choices? I said, I can't convince you of anything, but you can make a choice to explore what I say. He started exploring, became one of the strongest men in that Bible study because he started reading the book. And you and I need to know we can stay under the Adamic message that leads to life, death, and corruption. That's how it's working for us. Or we can come and we can be found in Christ. And that message can lead to life and order and it can lead to redemption. I can redeem and restore life. How's it working for you? Because our choices will make up our life and our life is framed by our, or is made up of our choices and framed by the words of our mouth. Listen, you and I need to know our choices are far reaching. Finally, it's important that you and I understand we made the same day as animals, not the same way. They operate by instinct. We operate by choice. Israel, a whole nation was at a place of choice. I believe that our nation is at a place of choice right now. A lot of crazy stuff going on, but we're at a place of choice. I believe that the church needs to speak up and have a bigger voice. And we don't need to speak conservative and liberal, Democrat and Republican. Somebody needs to stand up and talk about Jesus, who is the glory of the nations. And not put him in a box and say, he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. Now listen, I believe that in a practical way, and having covers a small amount of theology in the law and in the prophets... I believe that when you and I make choices, let me help you with a few guidelines, principles. You and I ought to give well thought out choices today. Get, think about it. Think before you act. Think before you act. And make well thought out choices. Now listen, you and I have to make a choice whether we're going to get proper rest, whether we're going to drink proper amounts of water, whether we're going to have a proper diet, And whether you're going to have a proper exercise pattern, that's going to lead to life. Proper rest. Last night when I was with with Pastor Cabral, uh, you know, Living Hope, we ministered on the Sabbath principle. Telling everybody that you need to have a day of rest. The fourth commandment is a commandment to stop. 
Six days, God gives you the work. The seventh day, he hollowed it. Exodus 20 says, he said, you should do no work in it. You, your maidservant, your manservant, your children, your ox, nothing should work in that day. The commandment to rest is a decision. And then it says, short creation story. God made everything in six days and then he rested. Now, God never runs out of energy. He never sleeps or slumbers. You and I both run out of energy and sleep in slumber. Look at your neighbor and say, you deserve a rest today. Go ahead, tell them, tell them. But that's a decision that you make. It takes great faith because in the Western culture we live in, this culture will run you 18 hours a day, seven days a week. You'll work a full-time job, work another full-time job, and then pick up a part-time job, and still ends our meeting. Why? Because we're violating God's Sabbath principle. And that principle is to cease from labor, unplug, disconnect, and stop. Cease from labor. Unplug, disconnect, and stop. It's a working man's commandment. So if you're sloughing off, lazy, slugger, this commandment is not for you. Look at somebody at your table and bust them out real good. Go ahead. Bust them out. Go ahead. Tell them. Yeah. Okay. Tell them it's for you or it's not for you. Okay. Because they just sitting around getting on everybody's nerves. This command is not for them. But for working men. He says, six days I gave you the work. Look at your neighbor. Go ahead. Tell him. Get the work. Y'all whispering now. I said, tell the man. Get the work. He said, I gave you six days of work. And it makes it. You have to make a choice to go to work. But six days, and don't come to tell me, I say, I've missed you at worship. Where you been? Well, Pastor, you don't understand. He said, I got a full-time job. I got another full-time job. Now I got a part-time job. I don't have time to come to church. Listen, it takes a choice uh, to trust God that I can work six days and then take one day and believe God. That he can make up the difference. That takes faith. Takes choice to work. Takes a choice to choose water. Water helps flush out your system. I'm trying to help men with their health right now. And, and you know, there's the soda and there's the water. And your body's made up of a lot of water. It helps to flush out your kidneys, your liver. It helps to replenish your system. It helps to keep your skin looking fresh. And friends, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I got, I'm swelling up, man. I don't know why I'm also in the, in, in, in the urban areas. We don't call it being swollen. We say you swole. I feel like man, I feel like swole, man. Okay, and, and listen to me. That's because you're putting all that gas in your body. Hey, man, carbonated water has gas in it, and it'll blow you up. You can lose several pant size by just stop the carbonation. Okay, I can't get no amens. Okay, praise <laughs> the Lord. All right, good. Let's go on the diet then. Okay, right. look at your neighbor and say, "Go back to water. Go back to water." Okay. You have to make a decision, and so do I. Our choice is in our diet. So when you have the office uh, morning snack, you can grab the slice of apple or orange or the Krispy Kreme. I know y'all have Dunkin' Donuts up here. Okay, let me move on to exercise. <laughs> I said we gave you the theology. Now let's talk practical, okay? 
Lord, help. I still can't. Can I pay you to give me an amen? amen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. We make a choice about proper rest, right? Proper water, proper diet, proper exercise. Men, you and I need to make a decide. Now, I'm not talking about you got to go out and pump iron to the world gym, but you can do that. I'm talking about maybe just go out and start walking some. Just go out and start walking. Start there. You say, well, how far do I need to walk? Walk until you break a good sweat. Turn around and come back. That might be a good start for 2016. Just walk till you break a good sweat. Turn around, come back. I know that your old football player, basketball player, track star, don't start off running. Because we want to see you next Sunday. Just walk. Walk till you break a good sweat. Turn around, come back. And it, you'll be amazed. It gets your heart weighed up, your breathing rate, rate up. I'm not a physician, but I know these things. It'll help you to, you know, to sweat out some of those toxins. You'll feel better because you'll stay lubricated and you'll stay loose. Just start walking. And then if you want to build up your routine greater than that, then do so. But those are choices that you and I make. Those are things that the doctor can't do for you. The preacher can't do for you. Your wife can fuss and tell you you need to do it, but it's a choice you and I make. Thank you for your overwhelming amens. Thank you for shouting me down because I'm preaching so good. Let me move on to the next practical point. You are the sum total of your choices. And you have to choose who you're going to associate with and connect with. Friends, I found out that if you stay in the same associations and the same connectional relationships, you and I will wind up in the same spot. Listen, when I was in high school, I played in a band, ran with some guys, went to my 10-year reunion. I moved on, gone to college, Bible college, and some of them were stuck in the same place we were in 10 years ago in high school. The guys that were sneaking out, smoking cigarettes during high school, were now going out and getting in people's vans, RVs, and smoking dope. Came back 20 years later, some of those same folks was coming in, rolling in in wheelchairs, their health had failed. Some of them was walking in on walkers. We're all the same age, but life had beat them up because of life choices. I went to my last uh, uh, reunion. My wife said, I ain't going with you no more. I said, why? She said, them people are depressing. She said, they old, they can't walk, they don't want to do nothing. And it was just life choices. And they looked at me, they said, scales, man, you look good. And you know, you don't say everything you think. Because I'm looking at them saying, man, you don't look that good. That's what I'm thinking. And I was saying, thank the Lord for name tags and yearbooks, you man. Because some of these folks, I would have known who they were, but it was life choices about associations. And you and I, we have to make those kind of associations. At one time, I was the chaplain for the James Cleveland Workshop Choir in our city. Gospel music. James Cleveland was an icon in black gospel music. Played piano for several gospel choirs in our city. Directed a couple of other gospel choirs in our city. And uh, was very much involved in the gospel music uh, industry. One of my good friends that uh, did workshops at our church, Daryl Coley, who was a Grammy Award gospel music artist, just passed away. And listen to me, friends. When I went out to their national convention for the first time and I saw the amount of homosexuality among the males. I knew that some of the guys that were singing were soft. When I found out that they were actively gay, when I drove back from California, I told my wife, we can't do this anymore. 
I said, I have to separate myself to get, the, get, get to where God wants me to go. And friends, I had to make a fundamental decision to do that. And you and I, you and I need to make a decision about our associations. I know where you're going to be in five years. I can tell where you're going to be in five years by the people you associate with, the books you read, and your being in the presence of God. The books you read, the people you associate with, and the time that you spend in the presence of God will tell where you're going to be five years from now. And friends, you and I need to make that choice. Finally, when I talk about choices, listen to this. You need to choose who you're going to go into business with, who to marry, or to marry, and who to marry. Those are all choices. I found out business. Sometimes as uh, elders in a church, we are called in to do negotiation, mediation, and arbitration with business deals that have gone south or wrong inside the church. Now, they never invited me in as a pastor when they were getting ready to go into business. But once the thing goes belly up or it goes sour, then they want me to come in and negotiate, mediate, or they want me to arbitrate a settlement. Some folks you don't need to go into business with, even though they're believers. And then if you're going to yoke yourself together with an unbeliever, you and I need to make a decision and a choice of if we really want to do that. Sometimes we cannot help who we work for. We just go to work for a company. You don't know really what the motivation was at the top when it was born. But when it's your choice to go into business, make a decision. How many men in here are unmarried? Raise your hand. All the unmarried men. About a third of us are unmarried, okay? Unmarried men, you have to make a determination to marry. Now, listen, when I say to marry, hear me well. In our kingdom, it's not a command that you marry. It's not a command. You don't have to get married in our kingdom. You can stay unmarried, agamas, unmarried. But if you're unmarried, don't do stuff that married folk do. Like moving a young lady in with you. Starting to be moved by instinct. You smell it. (laughs) Now you can't help yourself. If you are unmarried, there are rules for people that are unmarried in our kingdom. And there are rules for people who are married in our kingdom. So you and I make a choice to marry. That's a choice that you have. You don't have to, but you can make that choice. But if you make the choice not to marry, then walk as a man that is not married. I heard one that's right, probably from a married man. You're not married? Nope. Okay. And uh, then you also have to make a choice. If you make a choice to marry, then the next choice is who to marry. Now, listen to me. When I was a young pastor, people came up and said, Pastor, I want to get married. What are some qualities I look for? When I was a young pastor, I used to tell folks, find somebody that loves Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and are filled with the Holy Ghost. And and I said, if you start there, you'll find a good partner. After 34 years of pastoring, that's not what I tell people anymore. When the young people come to me and they say, Pastor, what are some qualities I should look for? For somebody I want to marry, I say, first of all, find somebody with some good sense. And then if they love the Lord your God with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength, and they're filled with the Holy Ghost, you can consider them. 
I said, because I know a whole lot of folks that love the Lord with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength, and are filled with the Holy Ghost, and they crazy. <laughs> the Holy Ghost has not re- renewed their mind. Now, I know that we have a responsibility for crazy people in our church. We do have it. I think there's a scripture that says we ought to comfort the feeble-minded. We all do that. However, you don't have to marry them. It's one thing to have crazy folk outside your bed. It's another thing to have crazy folk in your bed. And Proverbs gives you all kind of warning about who to marry. It says it's better to be on a roof by yourself than to be in a wide house with a contentious woman. Push the man next to you and say, you better choose right. Go ahead, tell him. Now, if he's all married and married, push him and tell him, you better pray. Then go ahead, tell him. Tell him, you better pray. Go ahead, tell him. If you've already made the choice. Now, statistics are now telling us still that in the United States, 50% of all marriages, cross the board, Christian, non-Christian, wind up in divorce. In the church, the stats are going a little bit higher, but the reason for them going higher is kind of interesting. They're going higher than 50% because we win lost people to the Lord Jesus Christ, many of whom have gone through multiple divorces. So when they do a general survey of the church, have you ever been to a divorce? One, two, three, because we win people to the Lord that maybe have never been to the Lord come into the church and they have, they have a, a post-divorce Christianity. That Christianity comes after the divorce, our numbers are higher. However, once we choose who we marry, it's a covenant. So you and I make a choice and who we go into business with, we make a choice to marry. And we also make a choice who to marry. There are still right and wrong choices. And in the world that we live in, people are telling you in the postmodern world that we live in, that now we can make our own choices. It's called relativism. And in relativism, it says, I can create my own standards of right and wrong. This postmodern world that we live in, some of them would even go to say there is no right and wrong. There's just choice. I go to Bible study sometime in downtown businesses. And I say, how do you do your Bible study? They said, well, we read a verse. We teach for 15 minutes. And the last 15 minutes, we go around the circle and say, now, what does that verse mean to you? And 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 I said, is that what Bible study should be? What does it mean to me? Or is real Bible study, what does it mean? Because there's a big difference between what it means to you and what does it mean. See, remember, there is still right choices and wrong choices. And remember, here's what I want to close with. There's always a life option choice. With all the choices that are being made in the world, there's always a life option choice. And I stand as a man right now that have a lot of options, a lot of opinions, and a lot of alternatives that are putting before me inside of the city I live in. I'm a leader in our city. And because of that, I have to ask God constantly, God, what's the life option choice? 
when I'm dealing with government, what's the life option choice? When I'm dealing with educators, what's the life option choice? I have some of my school teachers now that are making, and, and school uh, administrators in our state now, it's against the law for uh, public school teachers to speak against students who have now self-identified themselves as a different gender. One of my principals told me I can have a young man come in in September, start school, and by December, he can, he can self-identify as a girl, put on a dress and high heels, and want to go into a girl's restroom, and there's nothing I can say about it. The teachers, the bus drivers, and administrators in our city, in our church, has come to me and they said, Pastor, you need to have a seminar with us or what they called rules of engagement. How do I stand in a culture that has all these options, all these alternatives, and the law is now saying, I can't say anything about it. So I have all of my educators now, we're reading through the book of Daniel. Because Daniel was a man that lived successfully in Babylon. And I said, we're going to get together in the middle of this year and we're not going to have a conversation in a small room because some of them are my preaching team. But I said, but we're going to have conversation with all of our professionals because when I made this statement in our congregational services out in a congregation, I said, that's not only true in the school, it's true in the industry. You need to tell us how shall we live in this society? Because they say, I will not compromise because we're going to have to trust God today like never before. Daniel put his career on the line for prayer. Daniel put his career on the line because he would not compromise his diet. Daniel put his career on the line when he would not bow down with his friends, his friend's life, Ananiah, Azariah, and Hananiah, those Azariah, Mishael, and Azariah, they put their life on the line when they stood, when they tried to change the worship. And I believe that some of us, our life and our livelihood will be put on the line in these days. But if you and I have made a choice beforehand, we'll be the ones that are still standing. You'll be like Daniel that when he heard the writing was signed, he went to his window and he opened it as he had done aforetime. And he looked towards Jerusalem and he knelt down on his knee and he prayed. You'll be like those that they called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but they never forgot their Hebrew names. And they kept standing when the music started. You'll be like Daniel, where he says, my God is not only with me in this job, but when he says, I can't eat that and I can't drink that because it's been offered to idols, that God made him look better and he excelled above them all. Because of Daniel's stand, he was promoted, not destroyed. And the good promise is promotion is coming your way if you'll stand. Because somebody has to still be standing. Some of you men that are here today, some of us as men, we're at the point of critical decisions concerning life, concerning family, concerning career. 
and we have to make a choice. And if that's you, stand up on your feet. I just want to pray for you right now. If you had a place of decision, you're like a multitude of folk, and you say, man, I'm in a place of decision, and I know that the decision that I make is going to be far-reaching. Some of you are making decisions just about retirement. And, and America used to retire about at 65, but now people are going on till 70, till 72, and you're making desire, uh, decisions about retirement account, when to take the money, when not. Once you get money, what to do with it so that it lasts you. All of those kind of life decisions. Some of you are making decisions about sons and daughters that are not home, I'm, I'm, that are coming back home. I'm not talking about kids. I'm talking about sons and daughters, grown folk. Because there's the boomerang effect now. Where kids leave home, go to college, and then they come back home rather than going to their own place because some of them have fifty and sixty and seventy thousand dollars worth of debt, and they're paying what would amount to be a mortgage payment on student loans. And we're making decisions. For those men that are standing, could you lift your hand, shoulder high? Lord Jesus, I pray right now. And Father, that you would come and help these men that are at the point of decision. Some are making medical decisions concerning conditions that have been diagnosed. And they hear natural plans. They hear a medical natural plan. Some of them here are strictly medical plans. Some of them are invasive plans like surgery. And Father, we stand and we have all these options and we need to make the right decision because our decisions can be far reaching. Some of us are making the career decisions. Father, some of us are young and we don't know whether it's to go to college, go to work or go to the military. We're making those kind of decisions. Father, some of us are standing and we're making decisions concerning further education because now we have all these life option decisions. Father, whether we want to go to a small college, a community university, a father or a community college, or whether we need to go to the big university. And, oh, God, I pray that you would help every man in a life option choice. Help us to make proper choices, choices that in their far reaching effects will lead to life, will lead to abundance and blessing. God, would you forgive us for bad choices we made in days past? We repent and we lay the ax to the root of the tree. Father, some of them have been self-imposed and we are receiving consequences for bad choices. Forgive us. But oh God, we pray now that with the choices that we make that are life option choices, that they would accelerate us in the life and blessing in Jesus' name. Oh, God, we have the mind of Christ. Speak clearly in our ear and in our spirit that which you are saying to us right now. And then, Father, once we are decisive, having heard from you, let us hold to that decision. We believe you for it, and we thank you for it. And, Father, if it means that I have to cut off one association to embrace another, let us have the courage to do it. Father, if it means I have to stop one connection or relationship to connect someplace else, let us do it. Father, if I'm unmarried and I'm considering marriage, let me really weigh the decision to marry. And then, Father, for those who have married, give us wisdom in the choices we're making concerning our households. In Jesus' name. Help us with our decision, Father, to rest, our decision for water, our decision for proper diet. In our decision for proper exercise. We believe you for this. And we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God. Let's give the Lord a praise. Go ahead, praise ye the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
Now, every man in here, stand up. All right. Once you find, pair off with another man right now. Pair off with another man. Ask that man to pray for you. Every man have a man, okay? Ask that man to pray for you. Amen. Just concerning choices and decisions right now. Go ahead. Everybody find somebody. Everybody find somebody. Ask somebody to pray with you about your life decisions right now. Go ahead. Pray. Go ahead. That's all right. Doesn't have to be long. Just pray for that brother about his choice, about his decisions. Yes, Lord. The devil trembles when he sees men praying for one another. 